found on page 738. O Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you and praise your name. For in perfect faithfulness you have done marvelous things, things planned long ago. You have made the city a heap of rubble, the fortified town a ruin, the foreigners stronghold a city no more. It will never be rebuilt. Therefore, strong peoples will honor you. Cities of ruthless nations will revere you. You have been a refuge for the poor, a refuge for the needy in his distress, a shelter from the storm and a shade from the heat. For the breath of the ruthless is like a storm driving against a wall and like the heat of the desert. You silence the uproar of foreigners as heat is reduced by the shadow of a cloud, so the, strong of the, the song of the ruthless is stilled. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food, rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations, he will swallow up this forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove the disgrace of his people from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. In that day, they will say, surely this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. The hand of the Lord will rest on this mountain, but Moab will be trampled under him as straw is trampled down in the manure. They will spread out their hands in it as a swimmer spread out his hands to swim. God will bring down their pride despite the cleverness of their hands. He will bring down your high fortified walls and lay them low. He will bring down, them down to the ground, to the very dust. Thank you, Sam. Good morning, Surrey Hills. It is good to be back. Uh, for the last few weeks, I've been traveling around Victoria preaching, and uh, what's become clear to me is God's given me this very special ministry, and this very special ministry is to make pastors look good. You see, uh, a pastor preaches for weeks and months at a time and the congregation are a bit tired and a bit, this is predictable. Then they get me and then, and then the next week, thank you, Lord, that we have that guy as a pastor and not Bryce. Uh, but on a serious note, let's, uh, let's pray to God now as we uh, come before his word. So let's pray now. Father in heaven, we thank you so much uh, that we have freedom in this land to gather as your people like this every single Sunday and that uh, we can hear your word preached and that we can uh, be encouraged by it. Now, God, we have come this morning with all sorts of different situations. Some of us are, are really going well and, and we're ready to hear from you and uh, others of us are, are not doing well. We're struggling in various ways and so we just ask that you would calm all of our hearts, whatever's causing us anxiety, whatever's troubling us, whatever's making us angry, whatever emotions are running through us, would you just still our hearts this morning, Lord? 
and just give us the means to focus. We pray your spirit would work through your word right now to help us to know you more, to be encouraged by your word and to live in obedience to it. And we ask this, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, something I've noticed over the years is the popularity of the bucket list. They're so popular that a movie's been made about bucket lists. Jack Nicholson and Morgan Freeman starred in a movie uh, to that end. And, and they're in a hospital. They've got a year left to live. And so they decide to, to leave the hospital and go all around the world doing all the things they've always wanted to do. And so they go car, uh, car drive, like race car driving. They go skydiving, climbing the pyramids, going to safari in Africa. What would be on your list? If you could do anything in the world, maybe you'd go on a, a cruise right around the whole world. Maybe you'd learn to fly a plane. Maybe you'd gather all your loved ones from around the entire world together for a giant reunion. Wouldn't they be great things to do? But is the bucket list really the best way to respond in the worst of times? Will a bucket list really help? If there's no God, then the bucket list is maybe as good as it gets. But the bucket list is like Panadol. It will take away the, the headache of hopelessness for a while, but eventually that headache of hopelessness returns. You see, when God's out of the equation, the best we can hope to do is tick off a bunch of experiences, giving us temporary hope. Imagine doing whatever just came through your mind just a moment ago, and then still feeling hopeless in the end, still, still spending your final day wishing for anything that would give you hope beyond the grave, to restore the joy of your youth. It's a bit of a depressing thought, isn't it? But you know, Isaiah 25 gives us a different kind of list. We find a list of responses that we can call upon in the worst times, and these responses deal with the root issue. These responses do restore hope in a way that nothing in this world can. And you can see those responses in your outline. In the worst times, the single best thing we can do, friends, is to praise God. Now, you might be thinking, Bryce, how can we praise God when we've been given a year to live? That just seems ridiculous. That's not normal. But to be able to answer that question, we have to understand why the author, why the first hearers will be able to, able to respond in their situation with praise. And what we're going to see is that in the worst of times, the best thing we can do is praise God. We praise God for his wonderful character. We praise God for his gracious rescue. And we praise God for his total victory. When Isaiah was in the worst of times, he praised God for his character. Look at it in the text with me in verse 1. O Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you and praise your name. These first five verses are a song. It's Isaiah's song. He was in the worst of times. He was depressed. Israel was a complete mess. They'd given up on God. All the surrounding nations were constantly threatening and attacking them. But right in the middle of a nightmare, God shows up. God comes to Isaiah in a vision. 
And he paints a picture of the future that just changes everything. And this leads Isaiah to say, God, you are my God and I want to praise you for who you are. Because you have done wonderful things. You've made plans formed of old, faithful and sure. Isaiah is reflecting on everything that's happened in history so far. God promised Abraham, his descendant, three things, land, seed and blessing. And God gave Israel that land in the book of Joshua. God raised kings in Abraham's line, that's the seed, to lead Israel. And that included King David. And God's blessing had and has been upon Israel time and again. Isaiah praised God for past actions, but then he considers what's to come. Look at verse 2. You have made the city a heap of rubble, the fortified town a ruin, the foreigners stronghold a city no more. It will never be rebuilt. Before we had chapter 24 read to us, chapter 24 is all about how God will judge all the nations who are against Israel. And this is cause for praise. This is why Isaiah is able to praise God. He sums up this news in verse 2, and he calls all those enemies collectively the lofty city. But this isn't where it stops. In chapters 23 to 7, they teach us that God will be both judging, there will be both judgment rather, and hope for the nations. There it is in verse 3. Therefore, strong peoples will honour you. Cities of ruthless nations will revere you. There is going to be a remnant. And that remnant will be from all the nations, from everywhere. People who previously hated God, who hated his people. People who in some cases abused great power. Those people will turn to God and praise him. And we've seen this come to pass in history already. People from many of those ancient nations have come to faith in Isaiah's God. And so Isaiah praises God for his faithfulness. He praises him for his justice, but there's another reason for praise, compassion. Look at it in verse 4. You have been a refuge for the poor, a refuge for the needy in their distress, a shelter from the storm and a shade from the heat. Do you notice God's a shelter? This means he's with them in their suffering. God's not some distant creator who makes the world and then uh, removes himself from the picture. God, in his kindness, doesn't allow his people to suffer more than they can endure. He gives them shelter and shade from the brutal conditions of life. Not so that they stop suffering necessarily, but so that their hope is restored, however bad things are getting, and that they're in a, a place where they can keep going. Character is just so important, isn't it? I, uh, I just came back from a small trip with two of my closest mates. And there's lots of reasons why we're so close. But when I was thinking about it, the ultimate reason why they're my closest friends is because of their character. You know, over the years I've known them, they've become like family, like brothers. They've been faithful to me, ready to rebuke me and ready to encourage these guys have been the most loyal friends I've ever had, sticking with me in my best moments and my worst. They've been compassionate. They've been ready to listen to me and ready to encourage me when I'm in the worst of times. And that's why they're my closest friends. Character is everything. 
And so it just makes sense that God's character is a source of great hope in the darkest of times. But when it comes to Isaiah, he only had part of the story. He knew uh, God had done what God had done before and during his life, but he needed faith to believe that God would deliver Israel from her enemies and restore her to himself. So think about it. If he was able to praise God with that knowledge, how much more should we be able to praise God when we know and we now read of how those nations fell as God said they would? Isaiah praises God for his character. That's the first reason on his list. And the second is his rescue. Isaiah looks to the future and what a great future it's going to be. I said earlier in this passage that God's enemies are called the lofty city, but there's a second city that gets mentioned here, the mountain city, the new Jerusalem. And Isaiah tells us on this mountain will be a great feast. And the interesting thing is it's for all peoples. Look at it, at how Isaiah puts it there in verse 6. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast. You see, God isn't going to just judge his people's enemies. God's going to rescue some of them as well. Some of God's enemies are going to become God's family. But this mountain city isn't just great because of that. God's planning to rescue his people from poverty as well. Look at the next part of that verse. He'll prepare a rich feast for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. There will be a day when God provides such delicacies to people who have never had access to food like that. The saints are within the slums of Sudan, in the pits of the, of the, uh, the Philippines, in the shanties of Syria. The saints in those places one day will enjoy a feast like none other. They will no longer endure the starvation that is their lot now. And so God will rescue some of his enemies. He will rescue the poor, but he will rescue his people from death. Look at it in verses 7 and 8. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. Ever since Adam and Eve... All those millennia ago, every nation, every generation, every civilization has had to deal with death. Death is the greatest threat to humanity. It doesn't matter how intelligent we are. It doesn't matter how wealthy or how well-connected or wise we are. In the end, nothing stops death. And that's probably why we don't really talk about it, isn't it? I mean, who wants to talk about that? Talk about something that we have no idea how to stop. You know, something like terrorism. We, we, know, we don't know when it will come. We don't know who will be attacked next. All we do know is it's coming. But Isaiah praises God because in the storms of life, he knows even death will come to an end. The coverings we bury the dead with will no longer be needed. God will take them away and God will take death away too. And along with death, God will rescue us from suffering. Think about that. One day, there won't be a reason to cry. Such memories will just be in a heavenly museum 
to remind us of what God has rescued us from. But how can that be, Bryce? How can, how can Isaiah be so confident that that's true? And the reason why is because the Lord has spoken and Isaiah believes. As I was thinking about this idea of rescuing, it reminded me of my experience as a firefighter. Firefighters are trained to rescue. That's why on the back of their, their jackets it says fire rescue. Some of you might remember Black Saturday. I'll never forget it. Um, my my uh, crew, my truck was sent to the top of the Gerlangs in, in the hills of Gippsland. Uh, waves of fires were coming up this hill towards this one house that we were told to protect. And for hours we spent knocking down fires from different um, uh, sides of the property. But we stopped those fires. That house still stands and those people were safe. And so you could say the crew I served with, those guys stopped people from dying. And on that day, something like 110 fire trucks dispatched across that, that area Hundreds of firefighters gathered to, to try and stop people from losing property and life. But we just couldn't get there in time for everyone. Eleven people were not rescued that day. And that was just in that part of Victoria. Firefighters delay death for some, but even they can't stop death forever. But the Bible says God can, and the Bible says God will. Isaiah was led to praise when he reflected on how God will one day rescue God's people from all those things, poverty, death, suffering and sin. But this was all in the future. It was all in the future. He hadn't seen it right now. And yet he was so sure, so, so encouraged by this news. His heart wasn't heavy anymore. He no longer felt despair. If Isaiah could find that hope then... How much more can we find hope in knowing that the one to rescue has already come? What should we do in the worst of times? Praise God for his character. We should praise God for his rescue. And we should praise God for his total victory. Look at the lyrics of this song in verse 9 with me. This is a victory song sung by Israel. Verse 9. In that day they will say, Surely this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. Israel's victory song will be sung on that day. What's that day? It's the day when the Savior returns to judge the nations and put it and to sin, suffering and death. And Israel can sing with such joy, not just because salvation has come, but because justice has come. In the last three verses, we see God's love towards his people. Look at verse 10, how God's hand will uphold the mountain city, but then look at how his feet will trample upon the enemy, Moab. The enemy will be crushed like straw, spread in panic like a swimmer's arms. The pride will be laid low. The big fortifications of the city, the pride of the city will be reduced to nothing. As I was thinking about this idea of victory, it reminded me of the grand final a few weeks ago. A few weeks back, we saw the Eagles take down the Pies. Who would have thought the Eagles would have won the grand final? All eyes, including mine, were on Richmond until a few weeks ago. And then the Pies made it through, and we thought the Pies would finish the Eagles off. They had the home ground advantage. They had the, the confidence of beating the best team in the competition. But the Eagles 
proved everyone wrong. And when that siren went, there was a victory song sung that would have been heard all over the city of Perth. But even the eagles didn't have total victory. You see, their enemies, their rivals, are not defeated forever. This team, the Eagles, has an old, they're an old team. Next year, they'll probably bomb out like the other teams have in the past. But God's victory is a total one. God's victory lasts forever. And it's not just over his enemies. It's over sin. It's over death. It's over suffering. This is a victory, friends, like none other. And it's this, it will be sung with a victory song that trumps all others. Israel and Isaiah found the means to keep going because they knew God would punish their enemies. They could sing knowing that what God was going to do. Imagine if all the nations around Australia were hostile to us and all they wanted to do was destroy us or make slaves of us. It's hard to imagine, but imagine that. What a relief this news must have been to know God was going to bring justice. And if Israel could sing this song of victory before their enemies were judged, how much more, how much more can we praise God, knowing that this judgment has come and ultimate eternal judgment is coming? And so in the worst of times, Isaiah and Israel had their own list that they turned to. And the natural question we should all be thinking is, well, how do we use this in our worst times? So remember, we praise God for his CRV, character rescue victory. C is for character. Isaiah was able to navigate his storms by remembering God's character. And so it's good for us to reflect. In the middle of our troubles, how do we think about God? Imagine what it could do just to take an hour out of our difficult time and to reflect on who our God is, to get a bit of paper and a pen. Isaiah praised God because he recalled the wonderful things God has done. And it was a shift in thinking, a shift in perspective. I mean, it's hard to praise God when all we see is the situation, all we see is the terrible situation we're in. We doubt God's goodness. But if we can muster enough focus to reflect on what God has done, then maybe we can just remember how, God, how good God is. We remember his promise to Abraham, land, seed, blessings, and how they came to fruit, how they, they came about in history. We remember that that seed of Abraham is Jesus. The Messiah was going to restore Israel and the nations, and that Messiah has come, and we are restored to God now. And we remember that God never promised to prevent suffering, but he always promised to get us through it, to use it, to use every experience, every part of suffering and hardship for our good and for his glory. God promised he'd deal with Israel's enemies, and he did. So we can trust God that one day our enemies will get justice too. When we do this process, maybe we too can find ourselves like Isaiah wanting to praise our God even in the worst of times because we are filled with hope remembering his wonderful character. That's the C in CRV. What about the R? How, do we, how does praising God for his rescue help us now? 
Isaiah looked forward to God's rescue. We know God has begun this rescue. You think about 2,000 years ago, Jesus came into this world and he lived the perfect life. He died on the cross. He defeated sin and death. Jesus defeated sin in his death. Jesus defeated death in his resurrection. And because Jesus rose again from that cross, we know salvation is really possible. And as someone once said, death is no longer our destination, but a gateway to perfect, endless life. And one day there won't be death. Like suffering, it will be a museum feature in heaven. And so consider this, friends. If death can be defeated and we can have eternal life, if we can have eternal life, then what we do now with our individual lives carries on into the next. Our, our suffering, our struggles are not for nothing. They have meaning. And secondly, if death will be defeated, then how we live matters. You know, some say it doesn't matter how you live your life because in the end, you just become food for worms. But if there is eternal life, friends, then what we do in this life, how we treat each other, how we spend our money, how we spend our time, how we use our gifts to serve, that matters. It has real meaning and real consequence. And this gives us motivation to live life to the full because we have genuine purpose. That's the rescue in CRV. What about the victory? How does God's victory help us in the worst of times? You know, often it just feels like we're on the losing team in life. Even if we feel a momentary victory, those victories are outnumbered by all the hard stuff, all the sin that we can't get over, the discouraging conversations, the, the persecution for our faith, the broken relationships in our families, the rocky marriages we endure, the difficult parenting we face. The list could go on and on and on. And this is just what we see and this is just what we feel. But how, how, is it how it will always be? God's total victory over sin, death and his enemies means we aren't on the losing side of life. Our God is the victor. The Bible says it and history confirms it. And what we need to remember is God's victory doesn't mean we get complete relief now. It's like a, like a two-part victory. You know, for now, the things we deal with don't impact us eternally. But one day, those things will just be a reminder. They'll be in a heavenly museum for us to remember what God uh, had victory over, what he rescued us from. But there's one more implication. You see, we are faced, friends, with two choices. In the worst of times, God's victory will be a sweet reminder for God's people. But for everyone else, that is bad news. God will trample the rest down one day and they will be eternally separated from God. So it calls us to think, to reflect. Do I, do I want to be among those who reject God's people, whose greatest hope is some bucket list? Or do I want to worship this God and have his list that gives real hope and meaning and purpose for eternity. And if that's you, there are many people here who can help you to think deeply about this. So take the moment this morning to reach out and make today the day you work this out. 
Friends, as we continue to live as God's people for another week, let's make it our aim when we are in the worst of times to praise our living God. Let's pray to him now. God in heaven, we just thank you for the book of Isaiah, that it has lessons that speak directly into our own lives right now. Lord, would you help us when we're in the worst of times to praise you for your wonderful character, for your gracious rescue and your total victory. And Lord, may that give us great hope and comfort and you great glory. And we ask it, Lord, in your son's precious name, Jesus. Amen.